Say goodbye to leaks and pads and hello to confidence. Elatone is the only FDA-cleared treatment for stress, mixed, and urgent continence. As an external wearable treatment, it's the easiest and most effective thing you can do to get back to regaining control of bladder leaks. External, easy, effective. Don't let incontinence rob you of so many joys of life. Go to www.elatone.com and use code NAFC24 for $25 off. That's www.elitone.com and use code NAFC24. Welcome to Life Without Leaks, a podcast by the National Association for Continents. NAFC is America's leading advocate for people with bladder and bowel conditions, with resources, connections to doctors, and a welcoming community of patients, physicians, and caregivers, all available at nafc.org. This podcast is supported by our sponsor partner, Medtronic, maker of Interstim systems for bladder and bowel control. To learn more about Interstim therapy, visit controlleaks.com. Welcome to another episode of Life Without Leaks. I'm your host, Bruce Cassover, and joining us today is the Executive Director for the National Association for Continents, Steve Gregg. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Bruce. Glad to be here. Joining us again today is friend of the podcast, Dr. Carrie Fishburn, a double board certified urogynecologist who specializes in female pelvic health and reconstructive surgery. Welcome, Dr. Fishburn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So much of what people think about when they think of incontinence is related to urinary incontinence issues. Um, I think sometimes fecal incontinence doesn't get the attention that it that it deserves. And I'm wondering if, if people even recognize that a urogynecologist is somebody who can address issues related to that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because urogynecology is uniquely situated to be a specialty that understands and manages all of the above. So any patient I see who comes in for urinary incontinence, I'm asking about fecal incontinence. So we really do approach all of the above at the same time in, in a comprehensive plan. And I, I think that there is need for grow, growth of that awareness amongst our physician colleagues and also our patients. And I'll, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about urinary incontinence today and how dis, disruptive that is to a patient's quality of life. But when a patient has significant, regular, unpredictable, and unpredictable is important, but unpredictable fecal incontinence, that's a condition that really limits their quality of life and and limits their mobility. People stop meeting their family for meals. They stop going to church. They stop doing social things. Um, And so for a lot of folks that really, who suffer from this, it becomes a consuming issue in their life. And to give them a glimmer of hope and some improvement is is really satisfying and rewarding. This conversation around FI, our mission states that we're uh, dedicated to helping those that suffer from bladder and bowel dysfunction. And, and we've done a fair amount in bladder, but we are slowly just trying to learn and understand the terrible challenges for those that suffer from all the bowel-related conditions, from FI to IBS, IBD, Crohn's, et cetera. And we have kind of come to a recent conclusion that those conditions, you know, a lot of conditions, people say these are day-to-day conditions. And I think our opinion is that's not actually accurate. It's a truly minute-by-minute condition. And your comments about how debilitating and life-constricting it is, is 
is really significant. And, and I think we need to do a lot more to sort of support those people and work with our HCP partners like you to understand what challenges you have to address that. If you could think of one or two things that we might try to do to help those that don't know anything about FI and where to go, do you have any suggestions for us? I think it, it's always about normalizing that conversation because, because of all the things we've talked about today, fecal incontinence is still the one that people will tend to keep to themselves and not talk about almost more than any of the other things we talked about. On the one hand, they're very distressed by it. On the other hand, they don't want to talk about it because it's even more personal than urinary incontinence, right? And I think the awareness, the lack of awareness of how common an issue that is, is something we really need to improve upon. And also that we really do have improvements in treatment modalities that really work. And giving people that sense of hope and, and getting them to start in that conversation is so important. I can recall even a, a conversation with a gastroenterologist colleague, and I was talking to him about some of the treatment options we had for fecal incontinence. And he said, oh, I, I hate hearing about fecal incontinence and kind of dismissed the conversation. And I think what he was really telling me is that he was frustrated by it. He didn't have great options, so therefore he didn't want to hear much about it. And so we have to kind of not only have discussion about it, but also follow that with an understanding that we've come a long way with treatment options so that we can give people optimism. We can, we can get excited about this condition because we can really help people. And that flavoring is really important, I think, to, to get traction both in patients and, and physicians. Um, you know, engagement with the gastroenterologist and the primary care physicians and getting those patients to come in our doors, because that's who sees these patients mostly and has those initial conversations as primary care docs and, and gastroenterologists. And if we can have some awareness there that there are specialists of us, urogynecologists, colorectal surgeons who would love to care for these patients, I think that conversation is a big part of that. Do you, as a matter of course, when somebody comes in, and I love this idea of normalizing the conversation, that's really a great way to think about it. But when a patient comes in, he or she starts opening up and talking to you about bladder-related issues, do you automatically ask them about bowel-related challenges? Because as hard as we've seen, as hard as it is to get anybody to talk about bladder, you know, it's just darn near impossible to get somebody to talk about bowel. Do you, as a matter of course, just force that conversation to understand whether there's another underlying condition that we haven't addressed? You're, you're exactly right. It is the rare patient who walks in my door and that's the first thing out of their mouth is, is that condition. So the answer is yes, I, I do always ask about that. And I, I intentionally ask about that a little later in the conversation after we've already normalized that we're going to have a conversation about things we don't talk about every day. And after talking about these other areas, that's when I always ask about Bell and even though I feel pretty comfortable and feel like we're at that place where she can tell me and be honestly about that topic, for some patients, I may not actually even hear about it until the second or third visit. But at least if I ask about it the first time and ask directly, I'll pick up a lot of patient concerns that day. But sometimes that just sets a tone that she thinks about it and considers it more and then will tell me about it at subsequent visits. So I do have to be sensitive. It's not a topic that is as easy to talk about as some of these other things. So you're absolutely right. Are there enough treatment options for bowel-related issues? Do you have enough tools in the toolbox, so to speak? 
I think we have enough tools in the toolbox to help the majority of our patients um, for sure. And, you know, even simple conservative measures, intentionally utilizing supplemental fiber in the diet, having an intentional bowel regimen, things like lactose intolerance and, and, and gluten sensitivities are so common and understanding those dietary factors can be so important. Even that simple stuff can help a lot of people. Also, I find that so many of our patients are kind of stuck in that rut of steering from one ditch to the other. If they're, if they get a little constipated, they're going to start laxatives and that throws them into the ditch of accidental bowel leakage. And then they want to bind themselves up and having patients understand we want them to steer down the center of the road as best as they can. And giving them a plan for that strategy is very helpful. And then beyond that, we also need to rule out underlying conditions uh, and make sure they're up on their colonoscopy screenings and make sure we're not missing underlying conditions. And then once we're at that point, if they're still frustrated, we talked about sacral neuromodulation. That is a powerful treatment option to offer patients. I sometimes uh, do surgical pelvic floor repairs that can be powerfully effective and powerfully helpful for their bowel uh, incontinence, where we manage some of the prolapse conditions and with the right indication, sometimes work on the related sphincters as well. But sacral neuromodulation has really taken us a long way and progressed this far in the control of that condition. You know, I wanted to ask a, a follow-up on a couple of things that you were just asking, Steve, also, because we're, we're talking about how fecal incontinence is uh, particularly difficult for some people to talk about, but I'm going to make a bet that we're starting to see a change in that. You know, you can't avoid advertisements anymore for medications that are, are directed at you know, UC and, um, and, and Crohn's and, and all sorts of digestive conditions. And you also have um, something that you mentioned, Dr. Fishburne, is uh, gluten. And it seems like pretty much overnight, there's been a massive interest and concern about gluten. And I, I suppose anybody who's ever, you know, worked in a restaurant knows that, that every third person is saying that they <laughs> want to avoid gluten. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about gluten in particular, and also the, the broader sense of whether or not you think the conversation might be improving regarding fecal uh, incontinence and, and other digestive issues like that. Yeah, I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting point, because you're right, that we, we have exploded with information in our society about these topics, which, you know, 15 years ago, we just weren't even talking about. You know, so, so gluten sensitivity, both very dramatic and also in more subtle forms, can have significant impact on symptoms of bloating and, and loose stools. And with loose stools comes bowel seepage and, and a little bit of underwear soilage that people kind of notice in private, but don't talk about much. Lactose intolerance, very common as well. And so all of these conditions where there's a little bit of lack of absorption and irritation in the, in the bowel which translates into unsatisfactory bowel habits and, and less control. All those things are profoundly important in the overall management and trying to understand these subtle subtleties can be challenging. Um, and oftentimes my patients figured it out even before I get to really ask the questions, because a lot of times they're trying to explore those issues also. But I, I think to your point, the fact that we are much more aware of these conditions in society and talking about them more and seeing more commercials on TV has only, only helped this area. And I, and I do think it'll translate into people talking more about fecal incontinence. 
And do you think, though, at the same time that some things might be blown out of proportion, that now there's there's an overabundance of people who think that there's some sort of they have some sort of a gluten issue when they don't really? uh, Is there any reason to be skeptical of some of these things? I think sure. I mean, I think we probably have gone to the uh, to your point. If you work in a restaurant, everybody's got a got a food and sensitivity now. And I'm not minimizing people who have a food sensitivity. I'm certainly not. But I do think sometimes we we kind of go over with that. But I think as an overall theme for what we're talking about today, I think increasing the conversation and increasing awareness of these conversations so we can reach the goals of really, truly improving overall quality of life for so many people. I think I think in balance, it's, it's more awareness is a good thing. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And with that being said, I want to thank you for joining us again today. We really appreciate it. Life Without Leaks has been brought to you by the National Association for Continents. This podcast was supported by our sponsor partner, Medtronic, makers of the Interstim Systems for Bladder and Bowel Control. To learn more about the Interstim Systems, visit controlleaks.com. Our music is Rainbows by Kevin McLeod and can be found online at incompetech.com. So you finally had enough. It took a while, but you've made the decision that you can't live like this anymore and you're ready to see a physician. You think it'd be easy to find somebody who could help, right? Not so fast. Finding a qualified provider is not like picking a plumber from the yellow pages. You want somebody who really knows their stuff. The good news is NAFC has a doctor finder right online so you can find a specialist that you can count on. It's free too. Just visit nafc.org, hit the resources button at the top, and choose doctor finder. That's nafc.org. Then the resources button at the top and choose Doctor Finder. It's the single most important thing you can do to put yourself on the road to a life without leaks. Mm-hmm.